Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The FT. UK mortgage rates fall again, but are they as cheap for Eurozone villas? Savers are still being transferred into high-charging pensions. When will this mis-selling ever end? And would anyone buy a risky bond fund right now? even if it claims to be strategic. Answers to all of these questions and more will be forthcoming in this week's edition of the FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Tanya Poli. Hi. Joe Cumbo. Hello. And Alice Ross. Hello. And our special studio guest, Christine Farnish, Chair of Consumer Focus. Hello. Let's start then with the money news. This week, yet more lenders have cut the cost of their fixed-rate mortgages. It seems like only yesterday that NatWest and Yorkshire Building Society were reducing their two- and five-year rates, probably because it was just a few days ago. Then, on Tuesday, Woolwich, the mortgage arm of Barclays, became the latest to shave more off the cost of a home loan, cutting its two-year fix by 0.24 percentage points to 2.54%. It also launched an even cheaper two-year fix at 2.49% as part of its loyalty mortgage range. It seems to be part of a growing competitive trend. According to research firm DeFacto, nearly 9,000 mortgage products were launched or updated in the three months to the end of June. But with interest rates only likely to rise in future, why would they be doing this? Which is the question that's been occupying my mind, Tanya. What's going on with these lenders and cutting of rates? Well, it's interesting. Obviously, like you point out, bank rates obviously at a historic um, low of 0.5%. So it would seem that obviously, you know, it can only just go up. But actually, the expectations of where interest um, rates are going to go are keeping falling back. So swap rates have actually been falling in recent weeks. So swap rates are the rate at which banks lend to each other. And that's part of the reason why we've seen this flurry of lenders actually reduce the cost of their fixed rate mortgages. There's also this element of the fact that we believe a lot of lenders are slightly behind their lending targets and want to boost their volumes, so that's why they're trying to be a bit more competitive and aggressive on rates. And also, there's still this huge amount of borrowers that are sitting on um, low standard variable rates of around 2.5% if you're with, say, um, Nationwide. I think it's one of the lenders that has that current rate or SVR. So they are trying to kind of entice these borrowers off these SVRs and onto a fixed rate. And that's what we're particularly seeing with um, two years at the moment. They're like absolutely and obviously you pointed out about Woolwich and Barclays offering 2.49% to loyal customers and 2.54% to just everyone 
it's amazing, really. It is amazing. And do you think that there's more to come in terms of, of cuts to fixed rates? Actually, tomorrow, one of the big lenders will actually be announcing cuts on their five-year deal. Actually, we believe it's going to fall as low as 3.49%, which is absolutely crazy low in this current environment. We haven't seen a rate like that even last year when um, five-year fixed rates were falling. I know that, well, through personal bitter experience, because I didn't get that rate uh, last year. Um, yeah, because last year, what, 3.59 was the lowest? Yeah, 3.59, and that was actually up to 50% LTV. And the deal that's coming out tomorrow, I believe it's actually available up to those, for those with a deposit of about 25% or more. So it's really quite a good rate. And that's quite a significant change, really, because these rates are becoming available to a wider pool of borrowers or even sort of people looking to remortgage, presumably. That's right. Last year, we were mostly seeing most of the competitive rates around the 60% mark and, and 50% mark. So it does seem that um, lenders are willing to actually ease their criteria slightly and actually open it up to much more borrowers out there. Now, we're also looking this week at mortgages and indeed property in the eurozone. Given all of the concerns about debt crises in you know, Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, a number of you know, listeners who might own property or be looking to buy property in these popular holiday hotspots may be thinking, is it a good idea and can I get a mortgage? What's the position? Well, we're actually seeing um, the opposite to what we're seeing in the UK at the moment, where lenders are, like we said, reducing rates. In the European zone, it varies from country to country. But the Eurobill, which is their version of swap rates, is the bank, the rate at which they lend to each other, has been increasing, which has resulted in banks obviously having to increase their rates and pass the costs on to borrowers. Portugal's one of the worst here, actually. Um, it's seen massive rates and hikes in rates um, over the last few months. And at the moment, people who are looking to mortgage their villa in Portugal were paying about 3% um, mortgage rate. Now they're having to be remortgaging on to about 6 7 8%. So it's a big increase, and a lot of people are finding it quite hard to remortgage as a result of these high rates. I can imagine. And just very, very quickly, what's been happening to property prices in these countries? With the ones that are worst hit, um, with Spain, Portugal and Greece and Italy, you are seeing property prices fall recently. And it's interesting to compare it to countries like France and Switzerland, which Switzerland is often seen as a bit of a safe haven for everything really they're actually seeing prices rise um, and I think that's largely to do with this kind of the continuing sort of debt crisis that's going on in the eurozone obviously there's a lot to talk about how it's spreading to Italy and um, Spain um, so I think that's going to continue to be a problem for the next next few years really. Higher rates and lower prices are not a good combination Tanya thank you very much indeed for that and for the latest on mortgage rates look out for Tanya's uh, almost daily updates on our website now uh, ft.com forward slash money and for her article in the money section of this weekend's FT still to come on the show is a bond fund any better if it has the word strategic in front of it first though pensions A new report published this week by Consumer Focus, the statutory consumer champion, has revealed serious problems in the provision of personal pensions. Worryingly, the report found that savers are being advised to switch out of their current schemes to new pensions with higher charges or higher risk. And pension providers are increasingly charging ongoing trail commission, even though savers are not getting ongoing services. Costs generally remain difficult to understand, which makes it virtually impossible for consumers to shop around. As a result, Consumer Focus has called on the Financial Services Authority to take action over these practices and change some of the rules on pension transfers. Joe, you've been looking at this report. 
Were you shocked by this or can nothing shock you these days? It actually, it is. I mean, it's worrying. It comes at a time when we've had um, a wave of FSA action to try and get to the root of the problems um, in the pensions market and also as millions are being encouraged to get to grips with um, saving uh, in pension schemes through their workplace, they have to be encouraged to do that. So some of the findings um, about uh, individuals still being um, pushed onto high, higher fee uh, charging pensions were also very very worrying. But we've got Christine here from Consumer Focus to just explain more about those key findings. We looked at this market because we've known for some time it's been a very, very complicated market, as we know, for consumers to navigate. And it's one historically which has given rise to quite a lot of detriment and problems. So we wanted to do a piece of research to really see what was going on today and whether those problems were still there. And We looked at a lot of data. We got information returns from some of the large life companies. We got returns from IFAs. We did desk research looking at what other information was in the public domain. We had um, information from the regulator and we did two consumer surveys. Out of all of that, I think we've got four key issues which do give rise to concern. One is, as you mentioned, there is sign that um, there is a slightly increased use of trail commission or ongoing charges in the products that are being sold at the moment. We're expecting this sort of practice to be restricted, if not done away with, when the FSA introduces its retail distribution review. That's not for another 18 months. So this is still going to be going on from now to then. And Consumers are signing up to charges that will continue for the life of their pension. So it's not just a one-off hit. This is something that takes money out of your pension pot year in, year out. So that's a worry. Second thing, which is quite a serious worry, although our sample was small, but there is evidence that quite a lot of consumers who are being churned or advised to switch from one pension product or fund to another are actually ending up with a worse deal. Worse in the sense that they're either paying more or it's a riskier proposition. And of course, the transaction costs for a consumer of switching in a pension are really high. It's not like switching car insurance or something like that. This is something where, you know, there's money taken out up front and you could end up with a worse product. Just getting back to the Trail Commission, concerns about providers pushing ahead, trying to get their advisors to use Trail Commission. Was there a lead up into that before the RDR was talked about or introduced? The evidence is there from our data that there is an increased incidence of trail commission and we think this could just be something that's going on because the ban is going to come in in a couple of years' time. And it is something the FSA could act now on. What would you like them to do to stop it right now? We would like them to issue a warning to the industry to stop doing it and there is precedence for this in the past. And you've got some evidence that individuals aren't even aware that they're paying this trial commission and indeed they're not even getting any service ongoing from their companies. I think this is symptomatic of the whole pensions charging problem. There are an awful lot of different charges and costs around pensions. Most of them are described in completely opaque and arcane terms. You haven't really got a clue as a consumer working out how much it is that you're paying A for advice and B for the product. That needs to change. The industry suggested this week that it is getting to grips with the problem, but this report would suggest different. I think things will be clearer after this retail distribution review comes into effect, but it still won't help consumers know exactly what the price of their pension product is. In other words, how much money is being taken out of their pot. 
What can consumers do between now and when the RDR comes into effect, if it does, as the expected ban on commission payments by 2013? What can they do? Firstly, they should be very, very wary about any advice to switch and they should really get a second opinion, I would say, to make sure it is in their interest. Secondly, if there's any term in the small print that you don't understand, always get it clarified. Thirdly, insist on your advisor telling you exactly what the charges are for A, advice, and B, the product. Christine, very good advice indeed. Thank you very much uh, for that and uh, to you, Joe. also. And if you're worried about pension charges or transfers, make sure you read Joe's news story in the money section of this weekend's FT and on the website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, strategic bond funds. With ongoing concerns about defaults on Eurozone government bonds and even worries that US Treasuries are not as safe as assumed, fixed income investments have started looking a lot more risky. Even corporate bond funds have been affected by concerns over debt contagion. But there is one type of bond fund that financial advisors continue to recommend, the strategic type. These strategic bond funds have the ability to invest in a wider range of securities, giving their managers flexibility to move money around in response to changing risks. The question is, however, have they been using this flexibility to their advantage? Alice, you've been looking at the strategic bond fund sector this week. Are they all they're cracked up to be? Basically, they're being sold to investors at the moment as a way of getting income. This is the big problem for investors right now. You know, as uh, Tanya was saying earlier, cash is at rock bottom rates. You're getting 0.5% there. Equities, uh, there's a lot more volatility now this year than there has been. Where do you go to get income? And this is the big problem. And strategic bond funds are being recommended as a way of doing that. But what we've seen this week, I've been looking at what some of these funds actually invest in, is that a lot of them are investing in high yield bonds, which are a lot riskier than investment grade bonds, because you can have different kind of classes of bonds, and they all have different risk levels. And clearly, in order to get the high income that these bond funds are paying out, the managers are are going kind of down the risk curve, and you may be taking on a lot more risk than you realise. And is this additional risk being reflected in the returns of the funds? I mean, are some doing badly? Are some doing particularly well? Anytime I hear the term high yield, I get a bit nervous. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've actually just done a breakdown today. And if you're looking at one-year performance, for example, the Artemis Strategic Bond has performed over 10% in the past year, which is one of the highest in the sector. It has almost half of its portfolio in high-yield bonds. Now, compare that to, say the BNY Mellon Global Strategic Bond, that has only returned 1.5% over the past year, so much less. How much does it have in high yield? Only 7%. It seems to be the allocation to high yield bonds is the, is the key factor in determining what you get. Of course, these figures are historic in the past. What's the outlook for high yield bonds? Are advisors still recommending these funds? Do they think they're still you know, a viable proposition for an income-seeking investor? Well, this is the thing. I mean, strategic bond funds have been the most popular selling sector from the Investment Management Association for five months straight now. So advisors really are recommending these funds a lot. And a lot of people say this is the place to go on the income argument. But, you know, you have to question if you're getting a high income from something. Why is that? You know, you always have to look at things that are yielding high things and ask if they're taking on too much risk. And this is what people are starting to say now that do you realise that you might have half of your bond fund in high yield bonds which which are a lot riskier and if companies do default then you know the high yield bond is the first to go.
And are any of the funds in the sector considered to be a little steadier, a little less risk-taking in their approach? The one I mentioned, the BNY Mellon Global Strategic Bond, that only has 7% in high-yield bonds. Generally speaking, the global bond funds, if they're strategic global are spreading the risk a bit more. And so a couple of advisors I've spoken to prefer the global ones to, say, ones that are just focused on the UK or Europe. And just finally, for investors who are seeking income but might feel a little bit nervous about the yields on offer here and also the the idea that these are the best-selling funds for five months, which is often a a sell signal, what other sort of asset classes can offer a, a high return? equity income is becoming popular again because people are looking at defensive shares that are paying great yields. In fact, we have an article coming out on that this weekend with top tips for dividend investors. But yeah, basically you're looking at equities at the moment or you're looking at high yield bonds and it depends. There are very different risks in both areas and you have to make sure that you understand the risks of what you're investing in. Indeed you do. Alice, thank you very much indeed. And for an analysis of how much risk strategic bond funds actually take, look out for Alice's article in this weekend's FT and the other article that she just referred to on top tips for investing in stocks with sustainable dividends. That's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog posts and top tips on our website, ft.com forward slash money. You can follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash ft money and if you have a question you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances just email us the address as usual is money at ft.com next week we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form but until then it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from alice tanya joe and our special guest christine farnish of consumer focus goodbye goodbye, goodbye. for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts 